and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. So if you, uh, if you haven't been here in a while or if you're new here, just know that we have been in a series in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, it's in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament prophet. If I, if I use some names or some dates, if you're new to church or new to the Bible, and I use some names and dates that, that, that just sound unfamiliar, um, don't bail on me and I won't bail on you, all right? We can hang in here together. Um, I, I promise you that we can, uh, the, the word of God, my, my mentor, my mentor is Pastor Ralph. He says, the, he reminds me, the, per, the word of God is alive. And the Bible is the only book ever written that also reads you. So I just believe even the things that we don't know and the things that we don't understand, if we lean in and allow God to speak, he will bring clarity to whatever chaos we may hear or to whatever is not unclear, and he will let that uh, fall on good soil in our hearts. Amen? So Daniel, we're in the book of Daniel, and through uh, chapters 1 through 6, I'm doing 5 today, but we've gone, uh, we skipped and went to 6 We've seen that, that there's, a, there's a common theme. There's a common theme in the book of Daniel. And, and we commonly see that it's uh, the culture and the, the society of Babylon has really established this anti-Christ, anti-God way of living. Um, there's just so much going on in Babylon. There's so much going on in Babylon that's against what the Bible believes. And, and constantly leader after leader, ruler after ruler, uh, finds different ways to address the nation and to try to draw the nation's attention, worship, and praise to the leader instead of the true and mighty God. We found that over and over throughout the book of Daniel. But one thing that remains the same is that God's word and God's truth remain steady. God's word and God's truth remains the victor no matter what goes on in the society, no matter what goes on in the culture. So I want to uh, set a bit of, of, of a scene here. This brings us in, in chapter five to um, 539, 539 BC, before Christ. And we're removed from King Nebuchadnezzar who was in chapter four and who was the person that we, we found out uh, actually by way of his disobedience got sent to the fields, got sent to live like a beast, but came to repentance and was restored. And now we're four leaders later with this man uh, by the name of Belshazzar. Know this though, Belshazzar is not the actual king. He's sitting on the throne in the place as king, but his father his father was the actual king, but chose to go away from the palace at this time, chose to go away from the kingdom to go uh, and, and worship this, this God. The God is actually named Sin, as crazy as it sounds. Going to worship this God, and he's away, and he ends up in a battle. He actually ends up in a battle with the Persians. But Belshazzar is sitting in the place uh, uh, of kingship. And what he decides to do at the beginning of, of chapter 5, and we're going to read a bit of it, is to throw a party. This young... Uh, well, youngish, person who's sitting in the place of his father decides to throw a party, a full-on house party. He invites thousands of people. He has all the alcohol, all the different women, and they just begin to have this house party. And if you don't mind, we're going to stand, and I want to read the first uh, six verses of Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. And one thing I want to, I do want to make a statement about paper Bibles paper Bibles. Um, we love the fact that we get to put the verses on the screen. We love the fact that you can use your holy iPhone and all, all these different things for the Bible. But I always think, I always think to myself, 
you, you can play football on a field without cleats, but you can't dig in as much. And you can come to church without your Bible, but it's easier to dig in when you got this paper Bible right here. It's easier to get your footing when you got this paper Bible. And, and it's cool, I don't know about you guys, but if you, if you mark up your Bible, sometimes you're reading through to a, a section again and, and your marks or whatever you put there, bring to remembrance some things God did in your life. I don't know if that happens as much digitally, you know? So let's just, paper Bibles, we love them. You have paper Bible, can you hold it up? Ooh, look how safe second service is. Come on now, okay. I should have said it in first, this one was fine. All right. Daniel chapter one, please, let's not use that recording, I guess now. <laughs> Daniel chapter Daniel chapter five, I'm gonna start in verse one, and it says this, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his idols, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver and bronze, iron, wood and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I ask God in this, in this moment that you speak. Lord, I pray that uh, I'm just your vessel, that you speak through me, speak clearly. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. We love you and we position ourselves and posture ourselves to hear from you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can have your seats. I don't know if, if, if many of you have heard the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side. The grass is greener on the other side. If you haven't heard it, I think it's a pretty common phrase. I don't know where it comes from, but it's a common phrase. And it basically means that where you are and what you're doing looks a lot better, a lot better than where I am and what I'm doing. And often that phrase comes along when you're looking at someone that maybe is in a, in a similar position, like they, they, they work the same career as you, but at their office it's much better. Or sometimes, you know, to be honest, uh, sometimes you, you, especially when we're in quarantine, we're scrolling through watching church services on YouTube, and like, man, if we had that camera. You know, the, like the grass is greener on the other side. And, and, and I think that has become such more of a common thing now in our culture and society because we're more exposed than ever. We're more exposed than ever by way of social media and, and by way of so many news outlets and by way of so many different ways that our lives are, are, are lived out in front of people, whether uh, we, we choose that or not. I, I, was, I was joking in the first service, we're at a point now in the office where you can share your Google calendar with people and now they know like, oh, you went and got your haircut this morning. Like you don't even have to tell them. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's interesting that we're so exposed to one another and other people's lives are so exposed to us, which would lead us naturally to that mindset, of course, because at times we're watching the highlights of other people and we're comparing them to the worst day of our life. And we're like, man, the grass is greener on the other side. But at the same time, I think we um, should understand that there is a bit of the society and culture now in this present day that we live in that's trying to do exactly that that's trying to do, there's an enemy that's after our soul that's trying to do exactly that with culture and society. And I think we should take a hard look and realize this. 
that what, what's going on is that our culture is working towards the encouragement, the glamorizing, and the romanticizing of things that are against the will of God, things that are against what his word says. And they romanticize it. They glamorize it. In fact, they encourage it. In fact, they put us in position to vote for it. They put us in position to where um, we almost don't have a choice but to have to work around and live around what we believe to be things that are absolutely against his word. And what we learn from the book of Daniel, especially these first six chapters, is that no matter the shift in culture, no matter the shift in society, we have to be a people that stays grounded and rooted in the fundamentals and the things that we know here in the truth in the word of God. We can be a people that still not only survives but thrives in our community without shifting and moving with the things of this culture that try to sway us away from the truth of God. And Daniel is such a great example of that from chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, we can just see so many different things, including even the other Hebrew boys as they were thrown in the fire and Daniel as he's put in the lion's den. And we see time after time that these are things, and honestly, if you take a close look, if you think about with the Hebrew boys in the fire and you think about Daniel in the lion's den, this is not directly even coming from the king. These are people out in the society going back and reporting to the leader saying, you know what these guys are doing? Sometimes, sometimes we want to look at the top and we want to look above and say, it's coming down from that one person. It's coming down from that one people group. It's coming down from that one influence when the truth is it's the people next to us that don't know Jesus that are actually wanting and encouraging and enforcing the things that we think is coming from the top. Because I can tell you right now, anybody who doesn't know Jesus, anyone who doesn't uh, live their life dedicated to living like Jesus and, and, and dedicated their life to living uh, within the grace and mercy of Jesus, they have no choice and no ability to live, un, but to live unlike Jesus. I can, the Bible says it, and I don't want to go on a big rant and fuss, but there, there's, there's no one who is righteous. No, not one. There is no such thing as good people. I can, I, I got some, and it, I'm going to go one step further. I've got people in my life that are some of my, 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 my very good and very best friends who, 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 who don't know the Lord. We're working on it, of course, and they don't step foot in here. And, 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 but at, and at the same time, I do believe God has called me to be friends with them. I do believe God has called me to do life with them. But at the same time, I know who I am and I know what I do. And it's all rooted right here in the word of God. But at the same time, culture is working to shift. Culture and society is working to shift us, to move us from, from who we are and from our foundations. And that's what we see in Daniel. That's what we find in Daniel time after time. And this, this particular, this particular uh, part of the passage, of course, um, starts with a, with a party. Now, during this party or soon around this party or even uh, prior to this party, we should say that the actual king, who is Belshazzar's father, now, he's re- there, there's... Um, Nebuchadnezzar is actually referred to as Belshazzar's father, but he's not his, his father. In fact, he may, may not even be in direct lineage of him, but he's referred to as his father later in the passage because they mean father in alignment on the throne. But his, his actual physical birth father uh, is the person 
that was seated as king right before him, but decided to leave and go into worship, to go to worship his gods and, and, and go out on his expedition like we, like we talked about. But what happens to him, to that king, is he runs into the Persians and along with his army goes to battle with these Persians and loses. This is outside of the walls. This is outside of Babylon. He goes and loses this battle, but instead of returning to Babylon where his son is seated in a position, um, he goes away and he goes and starts over in what is present day Saudi Arabia. So what, the reason I bring that up is because this is what's going on with this, with this person that's in position, Belshazzar. He's having a party. He knows there's a threat on the outside. He may or may not know that the Babylonian army had already been defeated, but he knows there's a threat. But what he does is he entrusts the walls, the big, huge, hundreds of feet thick walls of Babylon. He trusts that the walls that are put up will protect him. And what he does is he ignores the chaos, ignores the calamity, and ignores the threat that's outside of the walls. And he chooses to surround himself with enough people, enough things, and enough substance to make him forget about it. It looks like so many people's lives. It's no, it's no coincidence that the, that the sales of, of alcohol and pornography and all these things went up so high during quarantine with people stuck in the house. And it's no surprise that the, the bigger the walls we put up on our personal lives and the, and the more we, we push people away, the more we reject people going on, that the, the enemy has an opportunity to get a foothold because what we do is we put up walls we put up dividers, we push away accountability, which we're going to talk about later, and we begin to try to fill ourselves and self-medicate. And, and sometimes we, we, we mistake and only think self-medication is, is drugs or self-medication is alcohol, but self-medication can be attention. Self-medication can be scrolling. Self-medication can be so many different things, but we, what we do is on the inside search and provide our own quote-unquote solutions when truthfully, whether we want to recognize it or thought, that threat on the outside of those walls is on their way. And that's where Belshazzar has himself. But I don't want to get stuck on the fact that this is an Old Testament party because I think the Bible is, is alive, the Bible is true, and the Bible is the coolest, greatest story ever written. And, and sometimes we got to go there. We got to see it because we read it as if just it's a textbook. So, so, so let's join this party for a second here. Can we join? The, can we just go to this party? Can we join the party? We're just at this party here for a second. All right. There we go. We're just going to join this party because remember the party, whether it's anti what God wants, whether it's anti what, what's the call and purpose on the person's life? It all starts off feeling and sounding good. It all starts off, you know, we're just going to dabble in this for a minute. We're just going to stay, you know, we're, we're, we're here. So we're there at the party. There's a threat on the outside, but we've gathered as many people, as much stuff, and as much substance that will occupy us. Now, now, one thing cool that uh, you guys can kill the party. Gosh, these production guys. I'm just kidding. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, so, so there's times, though, and I, and I love what uh, one of the theologians said. I can't, can't recall which one it was. But I, I love how one of the theologians says that the way that our sin begins to take life of its own, the way our sin begins to build from one to the next, begins to take, take, take momentum 
and grows one to the next. And I think with Belshazzar, just like with many other people in sin, it wasn't enough to just be drunk. It wasn't enough to just have concubines because he thought that was going to fulfill him. He thought that was going to make him forget. He thought that was going to make him feel comfortable. But instead, what he found is it wasn't doing it for him. So he said, how about we dive into more sacrilegious things? And he called for the goblets. He called for the, for the, for the cups that they drank out of for the temple, the God's holy vessels, God's holy possessions. He said, send them. And let's worship, let's worship some of the, the materials, the material things, which if we're careful, we look and we judge Belshazzar and what he's doing because he's worshiping material things. And because it makes no sense to us that he's going to be drinking out of a gold goblet, but at the same time, worshiping gold at the same time, man-made products. We're looking at this saying, why in the world would he spend any time worshiping man-made things? But the truth is in this society, we do it all the time. We've got posters and pictures and posters and picture frames. Was that a store here? We have so, so many different things up on the walls. And I'm not, I'm not against decorations, but I, but I, but I am uh, worried at times that our hobbies, habits, wants, desires, and likes can slowly trickle into idolatry and we don't even realize it. it can slowly turn into from a habit to an attempt at fulfillment from a hobby to a lifestyle. And Belshazzar crossed what we say, he, he crossed the line. He crossed the line when he called for those. But, but there's one thing I want to address first, and, and, and I want you to hopefully hear my heart as a pastor here and, and just know that, that some of these things I, I, I took from our lead pastor's notes that he uh, graciously blessed me with. And um, just know this. There's, there's not a thing. Now, the alcohol was mentioned uh, two times within the first uh, four verses. Uh, specifically, it says he drank wine. And then again, he says he, it says he drank wine. They wanted to emphasize the fact that he was drinking when he was making these decisions. But this is what we want to say. Alcohol as a substance in itself isn't sin. The consumption of alcohol in itself, uh, we don't believe to be a sin. But this is what we, what we and, and, but at the same time, this is what we do recognize. Uh, Psalms 104, it does talk about um, how, 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 uh, how wine can gladden, gladden, gladden the human heart. Jesus himself turned water into wine, and Jesus never, never once caused someone to sin. Jesus never once caused someone to stumble. Okay, so we understand that. But I think more importantly, I think what we, we do want to understand is wisdom. I think we want to understand the call of God in our life. We want to understand what the scripture says when it comes to the present day season, when it comes to present day activities. I, I, I think we see even more so in Proverbs, how Proverbs talks about wisdom, how Proverbs talks about strong drink, especially when it comes to leadership, especially when it comes to decision making. We saw what happened with Noah. Noah, even after, many people don't pay attention to it, after the flood and everything, all his heroics, and they found him drunk and naked, you know, like, like what happened? But also even with Jacob, we see that it altered his life because he allowed himself to get drunk, which caused him to sleep with the wrong woman, which caused him to have to invest another seven years of his life. We can go on and on. The, the, one of the kings of Syria, they were under attack in 1 Kings chapter 20. And uh, instead, instead of taking action, he took, he took uh, the heads of his military and went and partied instead and prepared for their plunder. This is, this is what it comes down to. Uh, this isn't a message about alcohol. This isn't a public statement about alcohol. Um, but this is, this is what I think we should all understand. I think we should all understand this. No matter what you do, no matter what you partake in, no matter what people group you're with, no matter um, what uh, 
culture you're spending time with, uh, no matter what part of society, because the truth is, when you go to other countries, we even talked about it the other day, my dad, my dad was talking about, he's like, when you go to Germany, they, they walk around with beer like it's a water bottle. You know, there's like, you gotta understand, culture is culture and tradition is tradition, and, and, and that, that is what it is. But this is what we have to understand. Have a good understanding and be rooted in what the word of God says, right? Which we just heard, we just, we just heard a good collection of it. But, but equally as important, understand what God is speaking to you and for you in the season of life that you're in. The season of life that you're in. Don't use scripture to defend things that God may say, and that's not for you right now. Don't use scripture. Don't use Psalms 104. Don't use Jesus turning water into wine when you know you're struggling with addictive habits. When you know your family history, when you know the influence that you have, when you know the level of leadership that, that, that you're in, I, I just believe that if we utilize biblical wisdom, we will never have to wonder if we're outside of his will because he gives us the opportunity to not only read, but hear directly from him. Moving on. All right. All right. We okay? We good? Did that change anybody's lunch plan? I'm just, okay. <laughs> so Belshazzar. Belshazzar. So he's drinking, he's drinking this wine, and the goblets come. And this is where we understand that, that they've crossed the line. They crossed the line. And I love the fact that with the ESV, it says immediately. When they began to, to drink out of these goblets and worship all these different figures, immediately God begins to write on the wall. Why did God write on the wall at that point? There was concubines, right? There was already alcohol. There was already wildness and, and all these different things. But this is what happens. They began to dishonor what God specifically called holy. What God specifically called holy. And there's things in the Bible days and there's things in present day that God calls holy that we have to understand should be treated and respected and viewed as holy. One thing, I think the, the house of God is holy. I believe his house is holy. There's a, there's a reason why, there's a reason why we, we do church the way we do. Uh, there's a reason why um, there's just certain ways of honor and respect. There's certain things we don't do here in this house because we believe this house is holy. The tithe. The tithe was holy in the Old Testament. The tithe is holy in the New Testament. God gives us 100. He lets us keep 90 commands, an act of obedience to give 10. And when we spend that 10, instead of giving it to God, we are violating what is holy. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, all the way to this day, the nation of Israel, God has declared them a holy people, a holy group. That's why we send missionaries to Israel. That's why we pray for Israel. That's why we believe uh, that God is, is, is going to do great and mighty things in Israel. And of course, the things from his temple. And at this time, they're disrespecting the things of the, of the temple. So God begins to write on the walls. It says the hand of God. And it's interesting because there's multiple times in the Bible that you see the hand of God in action, the hand of God in action. And as he writes, as he writes, Belshazzar says is, is gripped with fear because he understands what went wrong. But I think if we look at it, there's probably more to it even for us now to see as, as, as we see these, these vessels being utilized and as we see God seeing that they, they cross the line, I think we can think about vessels even now. Because according to 2 Timothy, according to 2 Timothy, there's more to these vessels than, than, than these, these earthly things or people across, across the world in Israel. Because check this out. It says this in 2 Timothy. It says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, 
You will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. What are the utensils described in 2 Timothy? People. When I'm frustrated with my wife and I send the text that I send, am I thinking about the fact that I'm sending this angry text message to one of God's chosen vessels? When I'm raising my kids, do I raise them to hope that they just have a good education and good career, or do I raise them with the understanding these are God's chosen, protected, and called vessels? Ministry leaders, as we lead our teams, business owners, teammates, partners, whatever else in, in, out in the business world, or it, when, you're, when you are alongside God's people, when you're alongside those called by his name, when you're alongside fellow believers, when you're, when you're alongside the ones that you love, uh, would it change the way we approach? Would it change the way we operate if we realize that they are God's sacred vessels? And that crossed the line. And the writing on the wall began to happen. And when it appeared, when it appeared, it's, it's interesting because some of the versions say that he, 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 he fell to the ground. Some of the versions say that his, his hips popped loose and that he, he, he lost function, uh, all of his functions. So uh, according to what my, the way my grandma says it, he might have messed himself. You know, things, things just went terribly wrong there. And he was gripped with fear. But the interesting part about him being gripped with fear is he called upon some of the same type of people that they called upon in chapter 2 and that they called upon in chapter 4 that were absolutely no help. They were absolutely no help. I want to go, I want to go to the passage, and, I want to, and this is in verse 7. And it says, he called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. He called in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. Basically what he considers his wise men. Basically what he considers the people that can, that can, that can go beyond the natural realm and, and, and speak some wisdom to him. But here's the interesting part. Daniel, this wise man of God named Daniel, was already involved and was already on the scene well before this. It's not like it was a secret that he was able to tell, uh, tell, tell the king not only what he dreamed but interpret it. It's not, it's not only that he was in, put in a pit of lions and not touched, and the king goes and says, now no one would disrespect Daniel's God. So now we're, we're, we're trickling down here to this next leader. And all of a sudden, even though Daniel had accomplished all he did, and even though there was a man of God available, he didn't reach for him. He reached to the people that were in the same mindset as him. He reached for the people that are in the same mess as him. And I believe that's what we do so much as a people. When we're down in our mess— and we're down in a tough spot. We're down in a bad spot. Unfortunately enough, sometimes we will find ourselves reaching for people in the same mess as us. There's no, there, it makes no sense when you're struggling in your marriage to reach out to that single and bitter friend to go sit and have a talk with. I, I, I believe that, that the, the, the last thing I want to do when I'm trying to manage my finances is go to the casino and find some people and be like, yo, I need some people to talk me through this. You know, I need some wisdom. And I'm not talking bad against singles or casinos or anything, but you guys understand what I'm saying. He wasn't, they weren't reaching up for wisdom. He was reaching lateral. But why? Because when you reach lateral like that, instead of reaching for someone with godly wisdom, you want to reach for someone that has the same mentality as you, that's probably caught up in the same mess as you, with you, because when they come to you with their wisdom, it comes without conviction. 
And also, as the word says, when he, he, he says, when the writing was on the wall, he said, I will give you status. I will give you a robe. I will give you a chain and you will be the third in command here in this kingdom. So naturally, when he makes that promise, which, which has been promised before in the book of Daniel, there's always promised status for people who can accomplish things. The people, when you promise status, that come to you in response to that are going to be people who don't come for you, but they come for the status. And oftentimes they are going to respond based on what you want to hear and based on what will get them the status instead of the wisdom that you actually need in your life. So they came for the status and failed. I, 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 side note, I don't understand why they keep calling these guys, but they did. And it says that uh, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't for, for, for the life of them, couldn't figure out what it said, couldn't interpret it or anything like that. So then out of frustration, it says the queen the queen mother. I say frustration. The reason I think she was frustrated is because uh, some of the versions of the Bible says she hurried over. And, and I don't think the queen mother, who, who we believe was the, the widow of um, Nebuchadnezzar, who, who remember Nebuchadnezzar did come to repentance. So we believe that, that um, the queen mother had an understanding of who God is and had an understanding of good wisdom. And she still carried herself in a noble way. And they still honored her by having her in the palace. Uh, well, I don't think a person of her nobility and her, her position would jog over or sprint over to come beg and plead someone to make a better decision. I think she came over in all her nobility, but at the same time in her eldership, like a frustrated granny, came over to him. And, and the rush was, was not more of like, let me go save the day, but more like I told this boy. They sh- if they would have went to bed earlier, the wall would have still been clean. Like if they, if they wouldn't, you know, if that music would have been turned down, like I told him. And she rushed over and she began to talk about Daniel. And I love what she says about Daniel because like we said, Daniel was able to tell people what they dreamed. Daniel was able to interpret and give spot on biblical wisdom down, down to um down to uh, the detail. He was able to tell time spans. He was able to tell, tell durations. He was able to tell who was going to rise to the top, who was going to fall to the bottom. Daniel was full of all that. He was in a den of lions. But that's not what she talked about when she talked about him. She said, there's a guy here in this kingdom that's full of the spirit of God. Why did she mention that instead of all his accomplishments in his resume? Because there's nothing greater on your resume than being full of the spirit of God. There's nothing greater when it comes to finding a solution than being full of the spirit of God. In fact, she came to an understanding that it's that same spirit inside of him that helped him accomplish all these different things in chapters uh, one through four. And she calls on Daniel. And Daniel's brought over. At this time, Daniel's about 80 years old. He's brought over. And and it's interesting because there's a completely different posture that we see in this sitting king compared to what we've seen before. Other kings have brought him over, and uh, as they brought him, it was, it was more, um, we know you're full of the Spirit of God. We know what you can do. We know your capabilities. And can you do this for us? We're more, Belshazzar first addresses him with what I would call disrespect and, 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 and tries to belittle him by basically saying, aren't you one of those guys we brought over? Aren't you one of those guys that was pulled from your nation, basically brought here as a slave to our nation? Aren't you one of those Hebrew, Hebrew boys? Aren't you one of those ones that were brought over outside of your own will? Aren't you one of the ones who outside of your control came? And then instead of like previous kings, 
Instead of saying, I know you can, I know you can, I know you can, he, he looks at Daniel and says, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard. Because he didn't want to speak confidence to this man of God. He didn't want to speak, uh, he didn't want to speak out of any bit of reverence, out of any bit of respect. You know what he was still speaking of in that moment? His arrogance. It was his arrogance that caused him to get drunk when the Persians were on the way. It was his arrogance that had him drink out of the, 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 the temple goblets. And it was his arrogance that caused him to still have such a disrespectful posture towards Daniel. And Daniel, being full of wisdom, but also older in age, kind of bounced back on him like, okay, you can talk to me like that. And he didn't talk to him the same way that he did um, Nebuchadnezzar, he actually addressed him sternly, and you can almost say he rebuked him. Because with Nebuchadnezzar, if, if, if you look back to chapter 4, he said, you can, if you re- come to repentance, if you come to repentance, we can, we can get through this. If you come to repentance, you can be restored, but this is what's going to happen. But when he comes to him, it's completely different. A completely different tone, completely different posture, and he begins to talk to him about the writing that's on the wall. I brought the closest thing I have to a shovel at my house. And I brought this because when it comes to this part, the writing on the wall, we're going to spend some time and we're going to dig. Is that okay? Can we dig in this writing for a minute? You guys okay with that? We're going to dig. Somebody say dig. dig. All right, let's dig. Here we go. So he begins to talk about the writing on the wall, and I'm going to read um, each verse, uh, verse 526. I have these in the NLT uh, that are going to be on the screen just because... Um, The wording, I want to make sure we can grasp the wording, but it says this. Verse 26 talks about the first thing that was written, meanie, and it was actually written twice. Meanie, meanie means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. That's the first thing Daniel says. The first thing Daniel says to this person in position of king is that you're done. You know what he says? The party's over. The party has come to an end. The party is over. The way that you were living against God has come to an end. The way that you thought you can escape outside of his will has come to an end. The way you thought you can live for yourself and make arrogant decisions and that God wasn't going to catch up with you and that God didn't have a line has come to an end. The party is over. And it goes a step further for you. Your kingdom is coming to an end. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. One thing that we know that's incredibly natural, but at the same time, something that we don't like to think about too much, is that based on Genesis chapter 3 and sin coming to the, to the world and, and, and us uh, being a people now that have, um, that have the... the the understanding that our life will come to an end. We don't live in perfection here. We don't live in eternity here. Our eternity is in heaven. But as a result of a fallen world, when we are born, the clock automatically begins of our future death. Every single person from the day you're born, the time clock begins to when your time will end. Death is absolutely certain for our life unless Jesus returns because that's the way we are designed as a result of sin coming to this world. But here's the other thing to understand. God knew that when he designed us. God knew that when he sent us to this world. And honestly, God knew that when he gave us the purpose we have for our life. 
So this is what we have to understand. Just like, just like Belshazzar was in position, just like Belshazzar had numbered days, and now at this point his, his, his days were over, we have numbered days to carry out our purpose and destiny for the Lord. We have numbered days in our parenting, numbered days in our career, numbered days in our worship. And as scary as it sounds, it's absolutely real, but there's, there's, there's an encouragement in it. There's, there's, there's some life in it. If you look at what it says in Psalms 90, 12, it says this, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Another version says, teach us to number our days so that we may seek wisdom. And it leads us to point number one that says this, we must live our life with an understanding that our time and security are in God's hands and not our own. Our time and our security is in God's hands and not our own. Let's not be a, a church and let's not be a people that lives in the someday. Don't believe in the eventually. Don't, believe in the, don't live a life in the when I fix. Don't live, don't live a life in, of, of, of when we, when we hope, hopefully. God's purpose is on your life now. God's hand is on your life now. God's vision for your life is for the now. Are there greater things ahead? I sure hope and believe so. But for the now, can we number our days and say, God, what do you want from me today? Who do you want me to be right now? God, I'm believing to be this someday. Your word has spoken it. Uh, someone's prayed for me and spoken it. But God, while I'm still right here, who are you calling me to be? How do you want me to love? How do you want me to, to reach? It, it, I, I'm telling you, the brevity, the brevity of life, the shortness of life. One thing, I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm going to say it. Uh, one thing that nobody warned me about. I went to probably every, we went to every conference in America our first years of being youth pastors because we wanted to go learn and we wanted to go gather. And they all talked about preach, 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 small groups, small groups, pizza, you know, all these, all these things that youth pastors have to learn about. But you know what not one person, whether I sat face to face or sat in a big conference or, or got on the phone or whatever else, not one person mentioned the funerals. And that's been the hardest part. When you go to a teenage funeral, it teaches you to number your days. When you, when you, when you read, however you want to say it, when you read statistics, it teaches you to number your days. And not in a fearful way, but to say, Lord, you got, there's air in my lungs. There's blood in my veins. Who do you want me to be and what do you want me to do? God, let me serve the purpose you've called me to serve right now until the day that you say I'm done. Days are numbered, but God is good. Understanding that our time and security are in God's hands and not our own. The second thing that was on the wall said, tekel, tekel. Verse 27 says, tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balance and have not measured up. This is what Daniel told him. He said, first of all, your days are numbered. Now you've been weighed on the balance and have not measured up. I'm going to read the point that I want to pull out of this, and it's this. Our life is not measured by our standards, but by the word of God and his call on our life. Too often, society and culture or, or even um, traditions want to give us a different standard than the word of God. Sometimes we ourselves want to give ourselves a different standard than the word of God because we begin to look around and say, I don't live like this person, so I must be doing okay. 
The word of God and, and, and he himself defines the measure and standard. We don't like to talk about it, but it's the absolute truth that God has a call and a way that we're going to live and operate our day-to-day life. Is his grace sufficient? Absolutely. Is his mercy new every morning? Absolutely. But it doesn't replace the standard. It's not in, in fact, grace, grace, grace was, grace is not on us and grace was not sent to us in order for us to stay as we are. Grace draws us to him and draws us to repentance and draws us to living the life that he's called us to live. Grace is not a get out of jail free card. Grace, grace, I wish I had a cool line to go with that, but grace, grace goes along with the purpose. The purpose comes with a grace. The race comes with a grace. The, the, the journey comes with a grace, but it comes with a measure. It comes with a measure. I love what Romans says, because Romans, uh, the writer of Romans doesn't for one minute think that it is our acts and our duty or, or even our works that makes us right in the eyes of God. Because it's the same, it's the same writer that wrote, by, by, by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. We definitely solidified that, helped us understand we are saved by the grace of God. But at the same time, he wrote this in Romans chapter 2. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. What is doing good? It is seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. Notice it's not a checklist of things. It's going after God. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There's a measure. Belshazzar didn't measure up, and his life came to an end. We, there's a grace on our life, but at the same time, there's a measure. And we, we as believers have to ask God, help us live up to the measure. God, help us to walk according to the measure. Help us walk according to your will. And the last is this, and the team can come. It says parson. Parson. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So as we said, the Persians were on their way. He put up the walls. He wanted to have the party, but he was told the party's over. And the Persians had a plan. The Persians had drain, began to drain the Euphrates River. And as they began to drain it to another body of water, they were able to go down into the water, under the walls, and come up through the ducts of the palace and kill him for themselves. But here's the thing about that division. You remember, the queen, mother, the queen mother had an understanding of the wisdom of God. The queen mother called for Daniel, while him at the same time, Belshazzar, was wanting to worship other gods. So his kingdom was divided when he was killed, right? But the, but the division had already begun in the home, and I think it's the same for us that this. Division on the outside begins with division on the inside. Division on the outside begins with division on the inside. We cannot will not, and I pray we understand should not live a life divided, have minds that are divided, have a walk that's divided, 
live a life that's divided. James addresses this and it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. We wanna be a people of stability and the only way to be stable is to stand firm on our foundations on the word of God. The only way to be stable, the only way not to be divided is to have one goal, one hope, one truth, one understanding, one king, and that's Jesus. I love that Daniel, Daniel was actually given the same deal, the same promise with the robe and the chain and the position as all the other guys. But Daniel's first response was no, you can keep your position. Because Daniel understood I have a purpose that's greater than position. I have a purpose that's greater than status. I have a purpose that's greater than a palace. I have a purpose that's greater than jewelry, that's greater than nobility and a position. And I love that he lived that life because we can look and we can say, you know what? The world can keep their positions. They can keep their Instagram followers. They can keep their money. They can keep whatever else because I'm here with one purpose and that's to glorify and honor God with my life, to serve out the will and the ways that he's designed specifically for me. But the coolest part about it, Daniel turned it down, but you know what happened after he spoke those words? The status and position was given to him anyway. He didn't live for it, he didn't ask for it, he didn't want it, but that's who our God is. That's what our God does. Our God wants to help us understand that my people, my people who are called are gonna be given the position that I give them. My people that are called are gonna give the status that I give them no matter what the world wants to offer and it's gonna be in my timing, it's gonna be in my way and I'm gonna do it the way I wanna do it because he's a sovereign God, he's a loving God, he's an all-knowing God. I'm gonna invite you to stand because I, I, I wanna pray, I wanna pray as we close here I want to pray for some people. I want to pray for people who say there's, there's some things in my life that are divided. There are things in my life that are going on right now where I feel like I, I'm not living a life that measures up and not, not in terms of condemnation, but I, I'm not living the life I'm called to live even. I haven't made a decision to live the life that was offered to me through Jesus' death on the cross. And I want to pray for you. Also, there's people here who may need to submit some things, may need to submit some fear to the foot of the cross, may need to submit some addictions to the foot of the, foot of the cross, some, some anxieties, some thoughts, some things that, are, that, are, that belong to the old party, that belong to the party that we personally established, that God said, that party is over. That party is not for you. That's not what I caused for you. That's not what I wanted for you. That's not what I destined for you. And I believe each and every one of us today, if we sit in this moment in his presence, can, can realize that as that party comes to an end, he has greater for us. He can do greater with us, can do greater through us. And I want to pray for protection and safety. But before I pray, I, I want to I want to recognize something because it's an, an incredible thing to see what goes on in the story is already miraculous. It's already incredible. It's already something that, that we can't piece together on our own. But I like the fact that the party was declared over hundreds of years before it was declared over in that moment by Daniel because the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before the prophet Isaiah spoke clearly and descriptively by the power of God and said, 
that Cyrus the Persians will overcome Babylon and it will come to an end. That can only be spoken by someone who can clearly hear the word of God, but that does two things for me. One, it reminds us that God is sovereign and he knows all things. Time is not a limit to him. Culture is not a limit to him. Notice that, 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 that things had not even been as bad yet. In the days of Isaiah, things have not gotten to the point where Jesus had to jump in and say, you crossed the line. But Isaiah, through the wisdom of God, already knew there's going to come a point where the party's over. And that's why we believe in prophecy. That's why we believe that every single word in this book is true. We believe that the word of God does not return void. We believe that when God speaks, it will come to pass no matter what happens in society and culture. When God speaks of goodness, when God speaks of his grace, when God speaks of his provision, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. He's gonna deliver. But that same prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 also spoke of a coming man who's gonna be beaten and broken and bruised for our iniquities, of a man who's gonna live a perfect life, of a man that's gonna present himself as a sacrifice so that we don't have to carry the sins and the shame and the pain that was destined for us. Because what Isaiah made clear is that for Belshazzar and for those living outside of the will of God, the party is over. But when Jesus steps on the scene, the party has just begun. And I love how Jesus' first miracle act was when his mama tapped on the shoulder and said hey we had a party and the wine's running a little low and Jesus says it's not my moment and Mary just backs up and says listen to him watch this and what Jesus does is he turns that water into wine and they take it to the head table and the head table they say normally they drink the best wine at the beginning of the party and they save the good stuff, and the good stuff is gone by the time later. But they said, this wine, they saved the best for later. And why? Because when Jesus steps in, the party has just begun. And then the same Jesus tells a story about me and about you, about someone who had an inheritance, who someone thought that they could do better than what, with what they had than their father can guide them to better than the wisdom available from their father. So he, he went to him and said, I want what I have coming to me. I want what I deserve. And he went out and made a complete mess of it, brought himself all the way to the bottom of society. And he came to his senses and he went back to the father. And as he's approaching the father, the father, full of grace, full of mercy, instead of letting the son crawl to him, he ran to him. And what did he do? He said, grace is here. Let's throw a party. And then Jesus stretched out his arms on that cross, carrying your sins, your shame, your frustrations, your downfalls. And when he's on that cross, he says something to the enemy's party. He says, it is finished. And the veil was torn because the veil torn and gave us access to the Father. Because when Jesus steps on the scene, the party has just begun. In Luke, it says, that when just one comes to repentance, there's rejoicing in heaven. I wonder if there's someone in here today that says there was a party thrown in my honor in heaven one day because I came to the saving understanding of Jesus. I found out the one who loves me. I found out that his grace is sufficient for me. There's a party in heaven for you today as you come to his grace and repentance and say, yes, Lord, I say yes to you, to your ways, I'll stand rooted. In these, in these words, in your truth, because I love you, I need you, and I'm done with this party. My party has just begun.
begun. Come on, let's worship Jesus. Let's lift up his name. 